You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg, episode 73, episode formerly Jack Johnson, currently P.O. Joseph. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing good. Uh, found out my mouse got melted somehow, so I'm out of a mouse and have to go find a new one. But other than that, things are going well. I'm excited about this episode because I had a ton of fun with the, uh, you know, the big interview we had. Getting into it really quickly, we have coming up a little bit later for you guys a sit-down conversation that we had with the Athletic Pittsburgh's Jesse Marshall talking all things Pittsburgh Penguins offseason as well as the upcoming coveted 15th overall draft pick and what they might do with that. So stay tuned for that interview with Jesse. We also have some talk about the Penguins having postseason surgery as well as a couple of player signings. And of course, at the end of the show, as always, we'll have our pens poll and we'll have our shout outs and call out segment a little bit more dressed up this week. That segment is going to be. But other than that, how else have you been this week? I mean, Penguins haven't played for at least two weeks now. The playoffs have been rolling on without them as as you would expect them to. And we're heading into the second round, which I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. But what have you saw so far from the playoffs? Uh, I saw Calgary finally return to form. (laughs) They finally felt their wounds of starting Cam Talbot. And not much else other than the Avalanche look like world eaters. And what else is happening? The Capitals are out again. That's always nice and fun to see. Philadelphia moves on. But hey. Uh, Montreal put up a fight so yeah they definitely did and it's hard to see in that game six how they had to play without Brandon Gallagher you know that he usually brings a lot to the table for that team but if you look at it I guess Matt Niskanen was out for the Flyers as well but it's not the first time we've seen Niskanen get suspended for cross-checking somebody in a postseason appearance in but, a hockey play yeah well quote-unquote a hockey the play same sure what was used man <sighs> yeah I, he's just a dirt ball he really is and Let's just move on from yep. that and get into Penn's talk. But before we do that, of course, I see you're wearing your Tip of the Iceberg sweatshirt. Yes. We recently got our Tip of the Iceberg face mask. So everybody, check out our merch site at tipoftheiceberg.whatforapparel.com. Like we mentioned, sweatshirts, t-shirts, face masks, coffee mugs as well. Check that all out. Like I said, tipoftheiceberg.whatforapparel.com. Let's get into the meat of the episode. The one big news story that happened in the past week for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Two Pittsburgh Penguins decided to have postseason surgery. First of all, it was Zach Aston Reese having shoulder surgery. He's expected to miss six months, so you can probably expect him to return around February, which is going to probably miss the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's that's a, that's a long one. It's weird seeing these guys get these uh, surgeries that are similar to others you know, injuries we've seen on the team, and then they're out for long periods of time. But uh, Aston Reese being down for six months, who knows if that really affects all that much other than a defensive scheme. But, hey, you know, it'll hurt in the short term. Who knows long term? It'll be a strange off season. I mean, who knows if, you know, not that he wouldn't crack a lineup, but who knows if he would have cracked a lineup given what this offseason might hold for the Penguins. 
And it was widely known amongst Penn's fans and people that pay attention to the team that he did not have a good playoff series against the Montreal Canadiens. And maybe this is why shoulder surgery. You don't want to make excuses. He was out there to play, and you can't make excuses for him. If you're going to play, you have to be better than he was. But he does have shoulder surgery. He's going to miss six months. He's going to be missing from the, the fourth line at the beginning of next season. Other injuries before we get to the big one that happened. Dom Simone had shoulder surgery to replace a torn labrum. That happened in November, or that happened, sorry, in March. I'm struggling to read my notes today, but that happened in March. You can expect him to return probably around November, December, and that means he might be good for the beginning of the regular season. And also, Nick Bugstad had spinal surgery once again. He might be good for the beginning of next season, but there's no telling. There's not really a timetable on him. And then let's get into the big one, the meaty one. Evgeny Malkin has elbow surgery his recovery time, luckily, only three to four weeks. What did you see with Malkin having surgery on something that's apparently been a recurring injury since the 2016 Cup run? Yeah, so it's a recurring injury. It's a surgery that he might have to have two or three more times in his career because it's putting off the big one that is going to shelf him for what could be a year, year and a half. You know, Obviously, that's an injury you wait for until – that's a – that's a surgery you wait until retirement because he's able to do that with the type of injury it is. I forget what it is exactly, but it's something similar to, if not, Tommy John surgery. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, for a baseball pitcher, very serious. But when you're, you know, a hockey player, the elbow movement is a little different. So he's able to just get a minor procedure to adjust it. So it's not the big surgery that he needs, but he's able to sit out a shorter amount of time. And just kind of push it off. It's a interesting thing, but um, I'll let you just I'll have you describe it a little more in a little more detail because I just have opinions on it as to what as to what might come from it. But for now, it's just he's able to put it off because it's not a major procedure yet. Yeah, you mentioned that he has been able to put it off. He did in 2016. He is still putting off that major major surgery until his retirement, which that's his decision. It is similar damage to the UCL, which is in the elbow that, like you said, pitchers who get Tommy John surgery, that's the injury that they have. But the difference in the way that you move your elbow in hockey versus pitching a baseball in baseball, it's it's a lot different as to he can play through that. It is going to affect him, and who knows how it's affected him so far in the past four seasons because did it affect his accuracy? Did it affect the speed in which he could go in? Did it affect some of the things that he could do with the puck? Who knows? And we're never really going to know because we're not Evgeny Malkin. We don't know the pain that he has in those specific movements. So it's going to be something like I mentioned with Zach Aston Reese. Who knows if this is the reason that he didn't play all that well in games three and games four against the Montreal Canadiens, but you were in the lineup, man. If you're going to be in the lineup and if you're going to play through an injury, You can't use that injury as a crutch whenever the season rolls around and you don't perform. So not that he was doing that, but I see a lot of Penguins fans saying, oh, maybe that's why it was. Let's not make excuses for Evgeny Malkin. There's a reason he's a top player in this league. And if he decides to play through an injury like that, then he needs to be productive. And he just wasn't in that series. And hopefully his recovery goes well with this. All that surgery did was remove some of the scar tissue in that elbow, open up the space and give him a little bit more motion in that elbow as well. So A quick recovery time we're hoping for Evgeny Malkin. It's only three to four weeks. He should be good by the start of next season and even by the start of training camp for next season. Hopefully, 
all continues to go well throughout the rest of the career. And the big question now is how many times are we going to hear this over the last several years of his career is, well, was it something to do with the elbow? Now that everybody knows it's something that we haven't known in four years, but now how much time are we going to hear about it? It is going to be something that if Malkin hits a slump or something happens, it's going to be, well, is it his elbow causing this? There, it's not. It doesn't affect much in his game. He's able to take wrist shots and obviously skate the same, but the big change, or not change, but the big effect on it that Rob Rossi wrote about in his article on The Athletic is the slap shots because it's a faster movement of the elbow and it straightens out a little quicker. But apparently there was some, some of the statistics in NHL tracks is quite incredible and slap shot, slap shot goals is one of them, as well as just slap shots in general. For the 2019-20 season, out of Malkin's to- 171 total shots, 31 of them were slap shots and two of them were goals. And that is a bit further. And that's Rob Rossi also tracked it back from six, from the 16-17 season and saw that it's kind of been declining ever since then. That of his total shots in those in those past few seasons, there's 108 slap shots to 14 slap shot goals. So it's not really the same as what we've usually seen from him. Uh, it's on the decline, and that could be a reason for it. As to if it continues like that, that's what we'll have to wait and see. That's what this surgery is supposed to do for now, is to just alleviate a little bit of that, and hopefully he's, hopefully he's able to regain a little bit of power in his elbow. Yeah, and the slap shot has been something that's been pretty important to his arsenal throughout at least this far into his career. And you mentioned he only scored two goals on slap shots this season. It's not like he had a down season. He had a pretty decent season, but especially when you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins power play, one of the things that they had done throughout the career of Evgeny Malkin is feed him that puck, let him one-time it off the boards there, and just blow it past people. His accuracy with the slap shot and the velocity on that slap shot were what made it lethal on the power play, and that might be something that isn't necessarily there anymore, and it's something that it seemed like they continued to try to do in that series against Montreal, so maybe that is something to look forward to in the Penguins' power play next year is Maybe Malkin doesn't line up on that near side, mainly because his slap shot is not where it used to be. I'm not sure whether or not he's going to completely take it out of his arsenal. I highly doubt it. But at the same time, if he's dealing with something like that, it could also be something mentally that he's not going to want to take those slap shots and further escalate the damage to his UCL. But uh, unless you have anything else on that, I feel like we should probably move on. Yeah, we can move on now. I just had to get get that out because it was an interesting article to read through and kind of get more in-depth on it because it's interesting that this is something that you hear a surgery and you're like, okay, that's the short and the long of it and that's the end of it. No, this is one that it's preventing a a bigger one that he's going to need eventually. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on for the rest of his career too. Yeah, it's definitely going to be something that you're going to hear about. Whether you want to or not, you're going to hear about, well, was it his elbow, as we mentioned earlier? It's going to be something that is going to bother him the rest of his career, so it might expedite his fall-off whenever that may be. But like I said, enough talk about Evgeny Malkin. We wish him well throughout this process of rehabbing that elbow. The Penguins also got into the business of signing free agents this past week, signing three of them. Two of them went to the AHL contracts and one signed an entry-level contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's start with the AHL, guys. First, we have Felix Robert signed out of the QMJHL. He is a center. So as I mentioned last week, the Penguins need to get better center depth. And here, they might have found somebody that can help with that. Robert's probably going to go to the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Interesting enough, 
His winger last season in Sherbrooke was Sam Poulan. So signing Sam Poulan's line mate, he had 36 goals, 56 assists, and 92 points with the Sherbrooke Phoenix last year. What do you expect from somebody like Felix Robert, and how interesting is it that Rutherford went out and signed Poulan's line mate? It's very interesting that that was the movie made. It's not the... I don't hate it. I'm not saying it's... You know, I'm not saying it was a necessity, but I'm not saying that it's a bad move either. I mean, bolstering a Wilkes-Barre Scranton team to grow some depth and to develop down there is really fun. And the fact that it's his line mate from jun- from juniors only kind of helps a little bit of chemistry down there, you'd assume. Yeah, and I think the big thing here is this tells us that Sam Poulin probably won't start the season with the Pittsburgh Penguins unless he completely blows away the coaching staff and training camp. This is probably a comfortability move for Poulin and the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins so he can break into the AHL with his line mate. A little bit of familiarity there for him. It's something that I, I like as a move by Jim Rutherford and see if this Robert kid has what it takes. Maybe he ends up being the fourth line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins sometime down the road. Maybe Bluger, you know, Theodorus moves up to the third line center and we have Robert as the fourth line center. Who knows what could happen with that? That's one of the moves. Another guy signed to the AHL Penguins. Luke Stevens from the NCAA, as we both mentioned last week, the Penguins love their NCAA guys, and they signed him after playing four seasons with Yale. He's also the son of former Pittsburgh Penguin Kevin Artie Stevens. So there's a little bit of a connection as well. We mentioned in the past week, we've talked about how many connections there actually are in the Penguins organization. Here's another one. Luke Stevens being signed to Wilkes-Barre Scranton, like I said, son of Kevin Stevens. What did you think of that signing? I didn't know much about him or the whole thing, so I got nothing on it other than, I mean, hey, more connections are always a thing. You know, so long as, no offense to him, so long as Austin Lemieux's not getting offers, I mean, I'm not (laughs) too worried about it because that's just a namesake signing right there. Austin Lemieux is not a great hockey player. I mean, he's in the NCAA and he played with Arizona State and he played with the other player that the Penguins signed, but at the same time, while he has been to Penguins rookie camps, He has to show it, and I'm pretty sure he's going to have to show it. They're not going to sign him just because of the name. I don't think the Penguins will do that, at least. Maybe he'll sign and play with the AHL, but he's definitely not making it to the Penguins purely because of his name. That is for damn sure. Somebody who did get signed by the Penguins from Arizona State, the big signing of the week, Josh Maniscalco, signed from, like I said, Arizona State, signs a three-year ELC. He is only 21 years old. He played the previous two seasons at Arizona State, 32 points in 36 games last season. And from all intents and purposes, it's kind of like a John Marino signing. You don't want to start comparing him to that because John Marino came out of Harvard and was head and shoulders above of what you expected John Marino to be last season. So this guy comes in, might have a shot to make that third pairing out of camp. Might not. He might go down to Wilkes-Barre and we might see him try to develop a little bit. But it is interesting that the Penguins decided to go out and sign a puck-moving right-shot defenseman after Justin Schultz apparently is getting ready to leave via free agency. It's call of the signing season for us. That's all we know to it. Because we know we signed Maniscalco and Stevens, who, by the way, what is our affliction? Not only do we sign college kids, we sign college kids from Ivy League schools. That's what I wanted to mention with Luke Stevens. Said now we go Yale, Harvard. Didn't Craig Adams go to an Ivy League school too a long time ago? I'm pretty sure he did, but I'm not sure which one. We are always picking up these guys from not just colleges, but Ivy League. But 
you know, hey, Josh Maniscalco being the, you know, he's signed as a puck-moving offensive defenseman. So that's a good start for what this team might need more than just a Chris Letang to do it because we know Pedersen has a touch, but it's kind of always wishy-washy. And John Marino is going to have to turn into an all-around player going forward. So Maniscalco being able to have that identity already, starting off, starting off with it, kind of shows that, okay, he's going to be on this track. Maybe he just has to, all he has to do is keep with it. Yeah, I mean, he was fourth in defensive scoring in the NCAA last season. So it's really good to see the Penguins are addressing that minor league system that both of us kind of bashed on last week. If you go back and listen to episode 72, we went as far as to call it barren. At least I did at, at one point. And we do mention that there is that top tier of Poulin, Legare, Joseph. But at the same time, there's a hefty drop-off after that. You have some B-sided players like Casper Bjorkvist and Philip Hollander. But signing these guys, getting a new insulation of youth in Wilkes-Barre is going to be good for them. It's going to be interesting to see what Maniscalco on defense, Stevens in the left wing, and Robert at the center position can all do. It's also interesting that all three of those signings address different needs and address different positions. So, I mean... Jim Rutherford already hard at work there, and he's going to have to be because the Metropolitan Division is getting so much mightier every single day. Here's what I think, and this is my, not a really a hot take. It's kind of not even that hot at all. It's kind of a cold take. If Sid and Gino are going to win a fourth Stanley Cup together, it will be the most impressive and the hardest to achieve in their career. What say you? I can agree with that. Definitely most impressive because of the last few years we've had. Who knows if something great happens and it turns out to be easy, but it will by far be the most impressive because looking at our recent history of early exits and just disappointing play, um, postseason-wise at least. I mean, you've had great regular seasons and we've pulled through no matter what. People were counting us out before the beginning of this season that you know we weren't going to make the playoffs, which... Technically, we didn't, but we made the postseason, and that's good enough to continue our streak because no one's been Listen, talking about that. Listen, we finished seventh place in the league in the regular season. Don't try right. to, like, people can say what they want. Yes, it, they didn't make the Stanley Cup playoffs. To me, yes. Did they make the postseason? Absolutely. Yeah. You just so. can't say it's however many years consecutive playoff appearances. You could just have to change the wording to postseason. That's all it is. So we can still stand on something because it was still a damn disappointment. But no, um, if the next cup they win will probably be the most impressive and maybe the hardest. Yeah, it could be depending on what the team looks like and who they run into going into it. Mm -hmm. So like you mentioned, the, the Metro is getting harder. The Flyers again look pretty good. The Rangers just keep getting top tier players and... I guess once the Rangers figure out a goalie situation, there'll be a si there'll be a situation, man. Uh, the Capitals, who knows what's going on with them, just at all anymore. Great regular season team, and then just they look like us in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, the Devils have a great team on paper. We talked about it with with MVP not that long ago. It's they just got to figure their thing out. And the Hurricanes are in the Metro, right? Yes, yes. The Hurricanes, great young team, fast. Once they figure out goaltending, then they're a scare. Um, the Islanders, we know what they are. Defensively minded, won't let you do anything. So the Metro is a, a rough division to be in, and it's exciting to be in, though. It's fun watching us always play a good team. 
to not take anything away from the three cups that the Penguins have won already, I mean, you look at 09, you beat that crazy good Detroit Red Wings team in the finals, plus you beat Ovechkin in the second round. You look at 16, you had to go through that Ovechkin team again in 16 and 17. You had to beat fairly good opponents, the Lightning in 16. You had to beat the Trap in Ottawa in 17. Not that they shouldn't have been able to do it, but it seems like that's something that they're having trouble with now. So those were impressive and those were hard for the Penguins to win. But with Sid being 33 years old, with Gino being 34 years old, both of them coming off of seasons. I mean, Gino, we just talked about, had surgery a week ago. Sid dealt with a core muscle injury the entire season. Those are big factors. But the biggest factor to me, as you mentioned, the Metropolitan Division. It gets better and better. Washington and Pittsburgh, I see, as the aging giants. You can't take them out of it because of how good those teams are. But they are aging. They are on the downswing as compared to the upswing. Then you have Philadelphia. They're a hybrid type of challenger. They have young stars. They have a young defense core. And they still have, like the Penguins, some of those aging stars like Voracek and Giroux and Couturier as well. Then you look over at Columbus and the Islanders. No, they don't have all of the skill in the world. But they are a pain in the ass to play against. And they will be near or in the playoffs for a couple years to come. And it seems like the Penguins are struggling to play against teams like that in the playoffs. So they're not going to be an easy out. And then the last three teams there, Carolina, the New York Rangers, the New Jersey Devils, such young, talented cores with great futures. Carolina, if it wasn't for Svechnikov being out and their lack of goaltending, they would have probably went a lot farther against Boston and possibly in the playoffs this year. The Rangers, I mean, you're getting Lafreniere automatically makes you better and you were already a team that had a heart trophy finalist in artemi panarin and you mentioned their goaltending situation i think igor shesterkin is going to be one of the top goaltenders in the league for many many years to come as soon as he starts getting ample playing time and then you look at the devils who have their goaltending figured out with blackwood they have jack hughes they have nico Hishier, they have nikita gusev they just need to build a little bit more And they have such a young, talented core that they're going to be a tough team to beat. And it's not like the Penguins can beat them in Prudential Center anyway. So this division is monstrous. And it's only going to get harder with these young, talented players aging. Svechnikov took a major step this year. Absolutely. It's going to be even bigger next year. So if Sid and Gino can win that fourth cup, it will be the most impressive. It will be the hardest for them to achieve. So hopefully they do it. If not, I mean, that's still a great legacy with three cups. But I think we fully expect them to compete for that fourth cup. I'm just saying it's going to be very impressive if they can pull it off. No, it will be impressive no matter what. Like I said, it's probably going to be the most impressive. Also, Columbus, the team I missed running down my Metropolitan Division. Not that they're a forgetful team, but they play a, not a, they play kind of a forgetful style of hockey. And I just want to say one thing about Columbus. is It must be hard doing media for Columbus hockey because John Tortorella just refuses to talk all the time (laughs) all the time it's either the hardest job in the world or the easiest it's one of the two there is not it's not a it's got its days kind of situation I would I personally would hate to have that situation but that's just me what having to ask a question to John Tortorella (laughs) and him just saying no I'm not answering and walking away I'd be furious as a 
writer myself, but I mean, I mean, that's just him being a pissant. I mean, we do yeah. have shout outs and call outs coming up, which he might end up in there. I'm not sure what you have, but he's just being a pissant. Whenever right. he loses, he, he's just a sore, sore loser. And he takes it out on the media who are only trying to do their job. Exactly. So a shout out to Portsline of the athletic out there. He's been dealing with it for several years now. And he, he seems like he deals with it perfectly fine. It might be a little harder behind closed curtains, but I just I can't stand when John Tortorella does that as somebody who has been in that position yeah. to have to ask tough questions. Exactly. For I'm him sh- to just kind of throw them under the bus and be like basically saying fuck you to them. It's like grow the hell up. Like you've been in this league for how long? And also at the same time he's been in the league this long, we shouldn't expect anything more from him. But that that that's my rant on on John Crybaby Tortorella. Yeah, it's it's not just that that's what he does. It's just if you're not in media and you're a Columbus fan, I bet you love it. Because you must think it's hilarious. You I must mean, love it. It's like, that is my guy. He doesn't give a shit. Well, there's people on the other end of that that are trying to do their job. And I get it, too. Like, that's just his style. I mean, because, you know, I said it might be the easiest job ever because you can just write, John Tortorella refused to talk to us again. Next paragraph. Like, that's all you have to write for that. But as for someone who wants the coach to get answers, I can remember just one quick aside and then we can move on entirely. I had to, for school, Point Park, I had to... You know, I covered the soccer team for a year. Uh, one time, uh, I tried to go ask the coach a question. He refused to answer anything and just walked away. I, I didn't know what to do with my story for the rest of the damn night. So it's hard when people don't ans- ask answer your questions that you're asking because it just makes writing harder. It's sports especially. It's hard to get those kind of answers. So for John Tortorella, I mean, hey, you do you. You've been doing it forever. I'm sure people are used to it by now, especially the ones that work around you. Um, and for the fans outside of media, I'm sure it's great. For pe- for fans inside media, it sucks. But that's enough of that. We are not here to talk about Columbus, the Columbus Blue Jackets or John Tortorella. That's just yeah, our- he's probably also going to win the uh, Jack Adams this year. So I mean, nothing against yeah. his coaching style. He does it very very well. But him and his personality is just a, being a jackass, and that's fine. That's who he wants to be. Just calling a spade a spade. You know if. If it grows the Not game cares, a little, what I say. if it grows the game a little too, I mean, so be it. That's cool that it's able to bring in those kind of people. But I mean, hey, we're, the Metro is going to be scary, right? <laughs> and John Tortorella is ready to to answer the questions of what do you think of the Metro? With I'm not answering questions of the Metro. <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect time for us to cut to another member of the Athletic. This one, the Athletic Pittsburgh. We had an interview with Jesse Marshall to sit down and talk about the upcoming Pittsburgh Penguins offseason, some possible coaching prospects, who they might go with for the 15th overall selection. So sit down, relax, and enjoy our interview with Jesse Marshall. This episode of The Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. 
Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. Not only is he the host of the Dying Alive podcast, but he also covers the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Athletic Pittsburgh and is a member of the Pro Hockey Writers Association. He even shares a birthday with Sir Sidney himself. Welcome on to the show, Jesse Marshall. How's it going, Jesse? I got a couple years on him, so actually, I think he shares it with me. I mean, but that's fair. we share it with David Duchovny. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it. No arguments. <laughs> Thanks so for having I'm, me on, gents. Of course. Before we get into the hard analytical questions and stuff like that, I did notice the first time I tuned in to Dying Live is your guys' theme song is the Boys of Winter theme from the 80s, which I love partially because that was the one that we used for our first intro here, and it just brings me back to the beginning of it, and I love every second of it. Dude, we, we couldn't decide between that and the, the theme song from KBL Sports. Uh, it was one or the other, like the old KBL theme song or Boys of Winter. And I felt like if we did the KBL theme song, we were going to reduce the pe- amount of people who got their reference down to like a very small, like 15%. Uh, but uh, both of those are like just, I mean, anyone who like grew up watching, that's just nostalgia. I mean, that's what we grew up on. I know we used it for um, the intro here and we used it for our radio show at Point Park a long time ago, didn't we? Like the very opening of You guys it? are pioneers? Oh, yeah, both of us. You're WPPJ Pioneers, too? Yeah, buddy. Yes, sir. Same here, buddy. Good to see you guys. Nice. All right, cheers. Cheers to the Pioneers. Were you in that same little rinky-dink in Lawrence Hall? In the back, yeah, where the oh, cafe yeah. was. Yep, exactly. That's where we started this. So yeah, we, we had start- a show. Uh, we had a show. I won. I'll have you guys know, and it was in 2006. I won the award for least likely to ever have a job in radio. <laughs> we, we didn't have awards by the time we got around to it, I guess, but... Um... No, our first semester there was in that little box, and then they just got a new studio starting our senior them, year. Yeah, that's nice because the one that they were in was so bad. It was dingy when I was there, and that was like eras ago. It was yeah, just yeah disgusting. it got only worse. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, by the way, I don't know if you boys know this, but Seth Rohrbaugh, also a pioneer. Oh, I did not know that. Well, the more you know, I a guess. lot of pioneers that we don't know about, man. Yeah, a lot of Point Park uh, alumnus. The only uh, one they really point there. to there is Greg Brown, so it's it's hard to. <laughs> and Chuck Finder, I don't know if you remember him. He was okay. in the post. He he was a uh, trooper post because I don't remember, but he was the uh, professor there at the same time too. So it's just good. Yeah. It's not it's not often you run into Point Park pioneers. So yeah, few and far between. But they're always out there, and you never you know realize it. But Berlansky had mentioned the Dying Alive podcast, and I had just listened to the newest episode yesterday, and I've been listening for a while. But yesterday, you guys talked at length about Jack Johnson and all the things that come along with him. And I just want to know why is he getting so much ice time as of right now? And beyond that, what are the odds of him getting traded and what, what would have to happen for it to happen? <laughs> well, I mean, so like they already tried it right last year with Phil Kessel when they sent him to Minnesota, that was Jack Johnson to be the, the accessory sort of, you know, favor part of that deal, which obviously didn't happen. And, and the longer this goes on, the harder it gets because all you're doing is like building more tape. That's bad. 
right? Like it becomes harder to repackage this, even with the PR that you do. And Jim Rutherford's great at PR, but it's difficult to sell this. That's why it had to be added to another deal as like a, a means to getting it done. So as far as the likelihood is concerned, like I don't feel great about that. Um, that's a cracking uh, solution as far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned. I also don't know that they think it's a problem. You know, that's the other, that's the other critical piece of this. Like there's two things we could look at, which is like the, the post series speak that we got from Rutherford, or we could just look at the ice time, right? Which probably tells you more than any PR campaign will. And the ice time says that they don't think it's a problem. So I, for me, I, I think that's kind of the philosophical question we should all be asking is, you know, do, do, does the team agree with us at all? Yeah, and I if mean, they don't, why? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the deep question. I mean, we hoot and holler about it all the time. Like he's obviously not built for this team, built for you know his position or whatever. But obviously, he's still getting the ice time. I mean, I, I saw something that was he and Schultz had more ice time combined on you know five on five than Pedersen and Marino. It's sure. yeah, and then like look at the thing. end of the game when you you need a goal, you have an offensive zone face off circumstantially there are ways around that you know there's just ways around it and then and, and you can tailor it to your need and i it's it's interesting because you know i always talk about before the series we said i think i mentioned this on the podcast like before the series we said well if you if you deploy that line the right way and you're careful with how you put it out there it's not that but they're not they don't babysit that line you know so it's almost that they believe it could do this job that it can't do now like you can hide it right like john marino did that He's the only one really this year that was able to. Um, but do you, I mean, why, why put a wet towel over John Marino? You know, I mean, that, that, that doesn't make any sense either. So I, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is kind of where we're at unless something comes along um, that allows them to, to package it in as an accessory. I, I don't know that the, I don't know that anything is going to change until Seattle. Well, that just means one more season of Jack Johnson and quote unquote, what we say is sheltered minutes, but he never ends up seeing them. But <laughs> At the same time, that wasn't the only issue the Penguins had in that opening series against the Habs. I mean, their power play was clearly a point of concern, and it is going to be going forward as well. So do you see that as a personnel issue for them, or do you think a new system, a la the firing of Mark Recchi, could fix some of the woes on the man advantage? Well, I don't know that I believe Mike Sullivan when he says that he took the power play over. Because every time they called a timeout in that series before a faceoff, with a power play who had the whiteboard mark Recky, and i mentioned that last week i think yeah i mean that's no mike sullivan wouldn't draw those plays up no i think he was taking the heat you know that's what he does I and mean, it's one of the things that makes him a good coach i guess but i guess my question for you guys is like, what was the goal of that power play you know like think back to james neal when james neal was here you knew you put him in the middle in the slot and the goal was the one-timer or cross cross him and get a one-time shot the other way from the off wing right uh, that was the goal. What was the goal? Of the, like, I, I never was able to draw any kind of discernible uh, – you knew what the system was. Like, you knew what they were doing. But once they set it up, it was almost like patty cake, you know, and everybody stays to the outside. You don't have any movement. Nobody's cutting through the middle. There's nobody available in the slot. You know, it's all perimeter stuff. So I, I think this is fixable. I mean, we've seen – we've been through eras where this same group of players put up, like, close to 30% numbers at times, you know, and I just, for me, I, I just feel like they were kind of lost at sea. 
And I don't know that there was ever a clear cut goal of like, we need to get ourselves in a position where we can have this happen. <laughs> you know, like that's the whole point of a power play. Get yourself in a position to make this specific set of circumstances work in your favor. I never picked up on that. Was Phil Kessel that much of an importance to the power play? Like, I think that's what it was going going before he left. I think what it was, guys, is that they tried to run the same system without a Phil Kessel. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, in this sense it was. But, I mean, like, if you change it and you no longer make that left half wall the primary source of your focus, you know, probably not. You probably don't miss Phil Kessel as much, you know. But nobody else, in my opinion, could do what he could do, which was – walk it off that wall that's the critical piece to like what phil kessel was successful at he didn't limit himself to the house wall he would walk it into a scoring area from there and no one else was doing that for the penguins they didn't have anyone that wanted to take that game by the scruff and be like okay you know like i'll take care of this so i think is if you could just alter your alignment a little bit or get a new fresh system in there that has like a, an ultimate goal i mean i don't see any reason why you can't feast on it again we had mentioned that mark recce was most likely the one powering all the plays, even if, like, you know, Sullivan said he was the one taking it over. But who to you do you think are the ideal coaches to surround Sullivan next season? Well, I have a sinking suspicion that Matt Cullen is going to be one of them, and I don't have a problem with that at all. Because Matt Cullen, I think, is a very, very technical guy. Like, as far as that systems and strategy, like, think of it. He could, you're talking about a guy that could play any forward position. You know, I mean, like, he knows what he's doing out there. So... I think it'll be him, which is kind of nice because sort of the respect he already commands from a lot of the people that, that are going to be a part of this group. And then your guess is as good as mine. I, I don't I, – I tell you what I don't think, that it's going to be anybody with a big name. I don't think Mike Sullivan is going to go out and get somebody that's potentially going to be viewing – could be his successor, you know, if things go off the rails next year. Like that, that's what rules out like a Guy Boucher to me you know, or a Bruce Boudreaux. It's, they're not going to bring in somebody that I think is perceived threat to Mike Sullivan's job, which then I guess takes me to like a Mike Bellucci, which given the track record of success the Penguins have had with coaches from the Wilkes-Barre, I don't know why you would scoff at that either. There's just nobody out there, guys, that's got tenure and has been, and I, and I went back and looked at some of those teams that Sullivan was on in New York, like some of his other connections to try to like drum up some kind of person that was available and I thought would be pulled out from the shadows, but really isn't anyone available right now. And I don't, unless someone leaves a job they already have, which is always a possibility. I mean, for speculation's sake, you kind of get the sense it might be two guys that are already pretty familiar with the organization. So you're looking at probably a true assistant coach as the candidate, not somebody who could possibly take that next step if something were to happen to Mike Sullivan in, in the eyes of Jim Rutherford or something like that. But I do I do like the Matt Cullen thing. I didn't really think about that. And if you look at the way he was in that locker room, from all intents and purposes, what we heard was he wasn't afraid to stand up in front of the room and tell them when they needed to do more. So I feel like that's something that could also help as an assistant coach in the piece that Yohi and Rossi put out a couple weeks ago they mentioned that maybe it was because the assistants were kind of yes men in that sense and I don't think Matt Cullen would be that way do you no I don't think so I guess there may be credence to what you just said to you because I, I didn't you know a lot of people have told me that they don't get the impression this is a change Mike Sullivan was in interested in instituting himself so you know maybe that's part of it uh, I don't I don't get that impression from Matt Cullen he's someone that you know, I think back to like when they won the first uh, cup with Mike Sullivan, he said that Matt Cullen was an extension 
of the coaching staff then. You know, it was all those years ago. So I kind of get the impression that especially with this group of forwards, that kind of voice would have been helpful. You know, I think that especially against a team like Montreal, the Islanders, these teams that are going to slow the game down against you and trap it out, that beating that system, there are finer points to it. There just are. You know, it's just not something you can run headfirst into like a buzzsaw. Uh, you'll get cut down, and, and that's what happened the last two years. So I think Cullen, is, if anybody's the amount of time that he spent playing in those systems uh, and being a part of of them himself, uh, gives him a lot of, of of good intel. I guess, like you mentioned, it's going to be a true assistant coach, not so much you know what the Flyers do, which is hire every former head coach and stick them in a position. Which I guess is working for them; they're doing pretty well. But I guess hiring coaches might be some of the top moves that. You know the Penguins need to make this year, but what are some of the most important off-season decisions and/or moves that the Penguins need to make this fall? I guess the off-season will be. Yeah, this fall. I guess the first one's finding a number, a third-pairing defenseman, because it's not going to be Yuso Rikula. I just, yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, I just, they don't, and I, and Pierre Olivia Joseph's good. Like at 164 pounds, I have like a slight concern, but then again, like I've watched. That's it's not. I mean, he's. I'm not worried about that. I, I think he could give you something maybe in a limited rollout. You don't want to play him every night right out of the gate maybe, but I just got to get another defenseman. Uh, and especially noting just the injury propensity for this group um, and the fact that the arena is cursed. The, the depth has to be built up there. So start there for sure. I love – well, let's, let's start by saying – let's just refer to it as the Bluger line because I don't think – it's a uh, it's a, f- a true fourth line anymore. I think that's kind of the third line now. But you got to rebuild the rest of the forward roster. I-, I think that too many decisions got made this year that didn't necessarily align with the overall philosophy of what you're trying to do at the time. You know, like Patrick Marlowe, I think we all thought was that win one for the Gipper presence that you know and could skill you know still skate and, and whatever. I-, I think you just got to got to get back to that tenacious speed element you know that's what kind of the system demands uh, and I think there are just too many gaps right now uh, how are you going to fill those you know is Patrick Hornquist still the right player for his position can you move him and get more value uh, I think these are questions that uh, need to be answered going forward once all of that is said and done you still have your core that Rutherford seems very intent on keeping together which is a breath of fresh air for the people that don't want to hear the trade Malk and trade Latang crew. So it makes it a little bit easier for that certain sector of Penguins fandom. But a lot of talk after this series was about the window. Do you believe in windows in hockey? And if you do, do you think the Penguins window is closing at all? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I don't think there's any question about that. But like, let's also not overrate like what that means. Like, You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> This is a team that for the majority of this year, even without like some more significant pieces of that core, were still like grotesquely competitive. If it weren't for the pause, probably, you know, would have beaten Montreal. I mean, the way that these two teams were playing, I'm not saying the Penguins were great, but Montreal wasn't even going to make the playoffs when they were out to lunch. They, they got worse when they traded Ilya Kobochuk. Think about that. It's wild. They couldn't beat the Detroit Red Wings, you know. Um, I, I just, you know, overall – philosophically speaking, right? I, I think everybody just needs to get back on the same page. That's the problem. I just I don't know that all the arms of this were, are working together the way that they were uh, when the times were great. 
um, Sidney Crosby, you're getting Malkin, Chris Latane, they're not getting that much worse. Their drop-off and what they do is not significant enough to all of a sudden one day we wake up and, and they can't compete for a cup anymore. Even into their late 30s, they're still going to be, you know, averaging around the point per game. Um, it's just that complementary. It's the complementary piece and the philosophy. And I think that's what it comes down to me is, is, is your depth right and does it line up uh, with what your goals are in terms of your style of play? And I don't know that, you know, specific to this year, you know, I think the most baffling part, the most frustrating part is the exit was almost purely strategic which isn't a problem that they've ever really had before. So to close this piece about the window, right? Like I think what you have to make sure you do as an organization is avoid situations that are either going to squander opportunities for you. For instance, if, if Mike Sullivan gets swept by a trap next year, you're going to bring him back. Probably not. Right. Like, yeah, no. you know, if, yeah. if, <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can't squander opportunities one and you can't do anything to accelerate your quote unquote window closing. An example of that would be trading Chris Letang. If you trade Chris Letang, you're pushing that window shut. You're literally shutting it yourself. Malkin, same thing. Trade of getting Malkin, now your window is closed. Yes, now you've done it. So this is more of like a, how, how well can you not self-sabotage this? Now, that's what it comes down to for me. Um, I know everybody brings up Chicago. Not really for me, a similar situation and all because the salary cap here is not the problem, right? Like we've never in Pittsburgh been in a situation where we've been unable, you know, save for the one period where Paul Martin had to play like 37 minutes that one night because we only had five defensemen. You cut that out. <laughs> I've never been in a position <laughs> where the caps have been such a burdensome problem, that, you know, they haven't been able to operate. Um, that's what makes it different for me. So um, I just gave like a, that was like a, grapes a raft length essay but um the, it gets too much discussion it's just something that like every off season when or not we talk about how much longer this is going to last what's happening in 2016 after they won the cup well this could be it then they wanted to get 2017 but like well enjoy it because this is it and then when they lost finally it was like see i told you so I, I just you know it, but it, then every every fall or winter or whatever we come back and Sidney crosby you know scores nine backhand goals in Western Canada, and all of a sudden we've all forgot about the window. I think the important thing that you mentioned there is they don't get better with a trade to either Latang or Malkin. Whatever you do in that trade, you're not helping your team now with whatever's coming back. Probably not. Probably not. Because you're going – piece of it's going to be asset. Mm -hmm. You know somebody's giving up a pick for – I mean, come on. You're getting a pick for that. Yeah. You know, the other part probably is prospect. But if you can't go to a team and say, I'll give you Crystal Tang if you give me three of your most useful roster players that you now have to go somewhere else to find a replacement for because you gave them to me for one. You know, this isn't, it's not, it's not, NHL deals don't work like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it'd be nonsensical, I think, uh, you know, unless, you know, some kind of mind boggling deal came around. It's just those players are what's helped keeping that window open. <laughs> you know, I think back, and I always tell people this too, like, Think back to like right before Mario retired the second time. He was still really good. He wasn't the same Mario Lemieux. You know, he wasn't coming through the neutral zone at 100 miles an hour and bowling people over like he did in the 90s, but he was still picking people apart and embarrassing them. It just was different. You know, it was a different kind of embarrassment. Uh, and the reason that those teams failed wasn't because 
of Mary Lemieux or Sidney Crosby. It was because, you know, Ziggy Palfy left and didn't come back and the defense was terrible and like any other number of things that, yeah. you know, goaltending, you know, like it, that, you know, I, so I, I, I can foresee like, again, like even into the years to come, like, you know, these guys aren't just going to suddenly cease to be good hockey players. Especially with the conditioning that you see Sidney Crosby in most of the time and when he shows up to camp. So it's something that if there ever was a player to be able to gracefully age, I feel like Sidney Crosby's probably that player. Yeah. I mean, the core muscle thing, you know, it's a little bit of a bummer. And, you know, you kind of get the sense that nobody ever is going to, we're never going to know, you know, what the heck kept him out of practice or whatever else it was. And nobody will be a biggest mystery of all time. But, I mean, you got to kind of get the sense that it was related to that. And it's a tough thing to come back from. And I, I don't think he's going to be any worse for the wear, you know, next season. But, you know, it's just – it's another instance and a long line of instances of, like, man, it would have been really cool to see him at 100% right there. Last year, something that we haven't seen in a long time, we had a first-round pick. This year, we have an even higher first-round pick. It's the 15th overall selection. So, to you, what position do you think the Penguins need to address with that 15th overall selection? So here's the thing about this draft, right? Really weird. It's a really weird year in that like 99.97% of the talent in the top 40 is forward. So if you're a, that's why I don't think it really makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference. And they can go into this with a best player available approach, right? They're like, you're talking two defensemen and a goalie out of a group of like 45, 54. It's like, it's, it's that skint. So what will probably happen in my mind is someone pre-15 is going to like swing for their defenseman. So by the time the Penguins are up, anything outside of forward would be a complete reach. Like you're, you're reaching way too far into the barrel now. So whether it's, you know, left, right wing, center, it, the, the cupboard is bare enough. <laughs> I think like any manner of, you know, healthy player is welcome. Um, so – now, I think I do think, though, they're picking in a range that's likely to be really rife with centers. So that of that grouping of, I mean, you know, there's not going to, you know, again, no forwards, goalies, really. You're, you're looking at a big fo- center group. I have a hunch that's what they're going to get as a center. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week, and sorry to cut you off, Nancy, but, you know, I mentioned defensemen, and I really didn't know that there wasn't many options available in the top 15 for it, but I just went down and was just running through our, you know, our depth and being like, it's not, you know, as hot as, you know, as what Jim Rutherford last year said it was yeah, I know, right? for sure. So, I mean, when we were going through our phases of, you know, returning to play with Churchman on the ice, I was a little thrown off. I was like, first of all, we got his name wrong for years. Yeah. No kidding. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> Second, you know, I didn't think I'd see him, play again really but there he was in our roster that could be you know if we went long enough and had enough injuries he'd be playing so it was weird to see that and I was just thinking we need you know to bolster a defensive unit a little bit more than what we have now especially with how disappointing it was I think that there will be opportunity to do it I I I think that uh and I'm just once you get to about 80 and if you go through like central scoutings rankings even once you get past 80, almost everybody's a defenseman at that point. Um, it's just, you know, I think, you know, that top, that top half, it, and it, don't get me wrong, like, it's a really good defenseman up there, and I don't want to, I mean, even, like, in the range, you know, the Penguins are at, you know, like, Caden Gould and Braden Schneider, just two names, like, right off the top of the head that'll probably be around there. I think likely to get picked before that, um, but 
you know, if they're there, I, I think the Penguins are just going to go out and pick the best player that's on their draft board, which is like an awesome thing for them to have the ability to do given, you know, that, uh, <laughs> you know, given that there's not something that is generally afforded to them outside, outside of scraps, you know, fourth round scraps, which yeah. they've, which they've done a phenomenal job with, by the way, but um, this will be, I, I've said this before, like, I think that a lot of the players in 10 to 20 would have been flat out top 10 last year. This thing's like really deep. It's different. It's deep. It's beefy. Um, I think the player, like, you know, Lafreniere at the top is, 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 is really that good. And, and the depth throughout is, is kind of just changes things. So I think you could be a little bit more conservative uh, with your 15th and still walk away with a player that may have been, you know, top 10 in any other year. Yeah, just another top pick to go to the Metropolitan Division, not the Penguins. Oh, okay. goodness. It's, got, it's <laughs> yeah. honestly gross. I mean, I guess, like, you know, Pittsburgh's earned this, though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Considering the luck that we had in the early 2000s, I think I think we're kind of just, so I think it's fair. And, uh, Brian, I know I cut you off earlier. What were you gonna? Were you gonna say something important in there? Oh uh, no, I was just saying one guy that I, I I saw. I know last episode I talked about about five centers that were all in that position because that's the position I thought that they should address. And I really think that they're gonna look hard at Dylan Holloway because they do love their NCAA guys, and he was really good for Wisconsin last year. So I, I have a hunch that if he's there, he might be the guy. But like you mentioned, hopefully they just go with the best player available. Yeah, and he's a good player. Um... I, you know, I, I, I have not a bad word to say about his game. I just don't know what, like, if you're, and no one should ever think about this. So <laughs> I'm contradicting myself already. All right. Uh, the return on investment. If you want it to be sooner, I don't think it's Dylan Holloway. But like Brian Rust, think about how long he had to marinate, you know, and then the, like the reward you gained out of, or Jake Gensel for that matter. Like, they drafted Jake, you know, had to wait a while before you got anything out of it. But, like, hey, who's complaining about 40 goals? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I don't see it. There's no problem with me because I think Holloway is the kind of player that you're looking at a, you know, maybe like a two-and-a-half, three-year, potentially four-year return on. And by that time, you need a, a player to transition your franchise. I'll throw another name at you. I think this is the player the Penguins are going to draft. I don't know that I'm, like, super pumped about it. Uh, I think they're going to take Anton Lindell. Uh, who's a center um, that's playing out of a HIFK in Finland in the top division over there. Um, and given how much Patrick Alvins knows about Scandinavian hockey uh, and the amount of eyes that they've got over there, the fact that Philip Hollander's right in that area, I got a hunch that the Penguins uh, are going Lundell with that 15th pick if he's on the board. You can make that a part of the uh, show later to make fun of me if it doesn't come true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make sure I clip that and keep it in my back yeah, pocket. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's all great fun. Penguins hockey talk, and as disappointing as it may have been to talk about it, now you know we're losing and our defense sucks. But going forward, let's talk about stuff that's not the Penguins. Who's going to win the cup this year, Jesse? Uh, it's going to be the Colorado Avalanche. That's what I'm saying too. <laughs> Man, I just here's what's you. So first of all, like they have 12 really good forwards, right? But then, like, you add in the fact that they activate their defense so well and they, they get – they attack with four so often, it just really becomes overwhelming. So it's the speed, it's the skill, it's, like, the system. And then, like, you add in the, just the sheer amount of bodies they bring on their attack. And it's like, look around the league. Like, who's beating this right now, you know? And, and everything is so sound and so solid from them. 
systematically. I just, I don't know that there's anyone out there that uh, can knock them off. They're definitely on a collision course with Vegas. I feel like for the Western. Oh, for sure. That's going to be a good one. Amazing. It's going to be really good. Yeah. That's going to be a really good series. Does Flurry play in that series though? Does he get any playing time after this now? He will. Yeah. I mean, definitely. (laughs) It's just crazy. You know how, I mean, that's the thing, man. Goaltending is such a voodoo. You know, that first year for, for them, like he was just riding that wave uh, from leaving Pittsburgh of that like unbelievable play that he'd had through those two runs. Um, and then now here we are. It, this is a cruel business. So I, I do think he's going to get back in. I'm just surprised that it was as bad as it was. I didn't see that coming. Aside from hockey talk, I just want to ask you this because I've been listening to you know, you and the Dying Alive and Penultimate, but I just have to know, what is it like working with, you know, Rob Rossi and Josh Yeoey as two of the biggest names in Pittsburgh sports media? And they just seem like hysterical guys to talk to and be with. They're like, so like personality wise, they're super ridiculous. I think the cool thing I would tell you is this, like in, and this is like my experience from The Athletic is it's all very much a, what do you want to do type of a business, which I think is like completely, no one has ever said to me like you gotta cover this you know like this has to be done like it's very much like we as a team like we we don't i'm like i don't even really have to communicate with them that much because it's all like we have our buckets you know like i'm gonna take the data in the video they have like rob and josh like a piece they put out last and i know like like i'm not to like go like white knight for them but like that's the work they do man like they they, they're the behind the scenes stuff and then sean is like I think one of the you know better writers in sports right now. So it's kind of cool to just be with a group that, you know, you get to just do whatever you want. And, but per, I mean, personality wise, they're like, there's two of the, the they can have, like, I, I would watch a sitcom a hundred percent watch a sitcom. Like this is just about Rob and Josh, <laughs> like not even like a laugh track, just send to somebody out there, like with a camera, like I'd, I'd, I'd just take it all in. Um, but they're like, it, like it's a good place to be. I think with like specific to our like Pittsburgh team, like everybody like really cares about each other. Like even from like a good, like mental health perspective, you know, it's just, it's, it's a very like encouraging place to be. So. So it's basically like Jerry Seinfeld and Cosmo Kramer walking around. <laughs> yeah. Maybe though, let me re let me correct you on this. Okay. Because Rossi's the Seinfeld. Yeah. Yo, he's more Costanza. Like a little touch of like that self-loathing sometimes, you know, very matter of fact, you know, just very straightforward. Get, he, he can be very, he has that get off my lawn piece to him sometimes, you know. Um, but yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's like a very, it's kind of like a curb your enthusiasm situation. I appreciate all the time you've given us and, and we've gone a little bit over what, what we asked you to do. But I do have one last question before we let you go. Better sandwich in Pittsburgh, Permanis or Peppies? You know, there, there's like there's so many situational pieces to this that are making it difficult to answer because, like, I'm if you put a gun to my head and you said you can only eat one of these, I'm going to Peppies. I I I, I it's just a different it's a different experience. Yeah, like that... I mean, Permanis is more gimmicky. You know, it's like got that Pittsburgh gimmick. You know, you get the fries on the sandwich. That's funny. You know, like it's, it's like all the memorabilia on the wall. Whereas Pepe's is like, you know, for me anyway, like I know I'm going into a fight. And what I mean is that sandwich would be so good and I'm going to feel so bad afterwards that like you got to gear up, right? Like you got to gear up before you go in there. 
don't go to if you're like in the strip or downtown don't go to peppy's on your lunch break because that's just stealing time from your employer because you're not doing any work afterwards go on like a saturday like when you don't have to like worry about like the coma that you're about to enter into afterwards like you can really <laughs> enjoy the sandwich yeah. uh but yeah that's, that's it man peppy's is just the best the people are the best um oh, yeah. and i have like a little special yeah. i get when i go there like so i have like a little little uh spicy chicken that they do for me oh there you go little jay marsh special i know the big nate there is just mm, chef's kiss that's my favorite so that's the one i always ended up getting we like i said went to point park and there luckily was a peppy's a block away okay question for you guys yes uh when you were at point park and i like i i have been meaning like because the closest i ever get to point park is like driving on the bypass to get to 376 mm-hmm like I have zero reason to be on Wood Street ever in my life. There's <laughs> just no reason to be on Wood Street. So there was a there was a um, an Asian restaurant that was only about two blocks over from Academic Hall, like further down Wood, not the not the place that was the sit down restaurant. Not Mandarin. That's right there. Not Mandarin. No, okay. no, no. On the other side of the street, about two blocks up, on the you had to cut up a road. And, it, and at the time I was there, it was just called Extra Spicy. That was the name of the restaurant, <laughs> Extra Spicy. By the look on your faces, I'm, just I, not, no, yeah. I'm not getting the impression that it's still there. I don't think it is, no. If I'm on the same road that I think you're talking about, I, it definitely isn't there anymore because uh, we both explored same. every hole-in-the-wall place within a like 10-block radius of that, which I guess is most of downtown, but still. Yeah, but no. That, this, that if you call them to order, they they would say extra spicy. <laughs> like no, that was yeah. the name of the restaurant, and it was. I mean, literally, it was. I mean, I can't. It wasn't false advertising. It was literally <laughs> extra spicy. So that's disappointing. But I know the subway yeah. is still over there and kicking, right? No. No, the subway's the subway's gone. gone now too. No, that was like the only good subway. It was there for. <laughs> I think our first two years, and I think when we started our junior year, it was gone because they were using it as a lobby to build apartments above it. Ah, uh, but the but the Mandarin's still there. Mandarin's still there. Me and my girlfriend, yeah, me and my girlfriend love the Mandarin. And what about the Draft House? Uh, no. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. Towards Market Square. Oh, I, that whole area got yeah, 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 revamped. Just, yeah, they they took most of that area out. The only thing that was basically left for us was uh, Genoa's, and. Pizza Fiesta and then Peppies. That was basically all that was close to us. I didn't even have a Peppies there at the time that I was there. There was no Peppies, and I don't even know what Pizza Fiesta is. Yeah, so I mean, that's wow. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Like when I was at Point Park, Margarita Mamas was like still there. So yeah, you had to park. You had to park in the lot over there and walk across the Smithfield Street Bridge. Like that was where like all the commuters. Like that's where we walked, and like every it was. I felt like I was like. The closest equivalent I could get to you in the winter, it was like very Dark Knight Rises ish, you know, oh. where like it was so cold, like across the Mon that you yep. literally oh. were Ooh. like, I would drop out of school right now, and I, like literally live on the streets for the rest of my life <laughs> as opposed to having to walk anymore. Yeah, we both lived up on Mount Washington for our last couple of years, and I liked walking mostly. I would take the incline down and walk across that bridge every day. You would get to like Station Square part, and you would look down and see all those people eating in like really nice restaurants, all warm and toasty. Like I have like another half mile before my car. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's a shame about extra spicy. I have to pour one out for them tonight. 
There you go. Well, thank you for joining us again, Jesse. I'll give you here a couple seconds just to plug anything you have coming up. I know you just released an article uh, on that trap system and how the Penguins are going to eventually need to beat it at some point in the near future. But if you have anything else to plug, uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's probably like in the next couple weeks, keep your eye out for like, we'll do probably like eight or nine player profiles um, of who's going to be around 15 and where I think they're going to lean. And there'll be a little video analysis in there too. So kind of just a little prospect breakdown. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Massive thanks goes out to Jesse Marshall for joining the show. We appreciate all the time that he gave us and for sitting down to talk with us about the Pittsburgh Penguins' upcoming offseason, as well as a little bit about our alma mater at Point Park University. So it's good to know that he's a fellow pioneer. But as we move along here on the show, as we've done the past couple of episodes, we are going to give you a quick promo of another podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. And here's a promo of a newer podcast called the Euro Puck Podcast. Hello, bonjour, hello, hey, hiya and previet hockey fans. Welcome to the Euro Puck Podcast. The show where two blokes from Blighty talk about everything to do with European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. From the Russian KHL to the Swedish Hockey League, the Finnish Liga to the Swiss National League, the British Elite League to the Alps Hockey League, we talk about anything and everything European hockey. Catch our podcast every Friday from August the 28th, however you get your podcasts, and on the Europuck Podcast YouTube channel. The Europuck Podcast, giving you guys European hockey. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. We've had a great show for you guys today, and it's just going to keep on rolling on here. Our final two segments, as they always are, we're going to have Pens Poll and Shoutouts and Callouts. Let's start it off with the Pens Poll and our definitely most lopsided <coughs> victory of our Pens Poll ever. The question was, what would you do? With the goalie situation, if you were general manager Jim Rutherford this offseason, no surprises here, sign Jari, trade Murray was the number one option at 83% of the votes. Second place was sign Murray, trade Jari. That got only 11%, and sign both back got 6%. At least the Penguins fan base realizes the fact that it's going to be very impossible and not going to happen that we get both of these guys back. If we do, color me surprised, but I don't see it happening. And boy, what and an issue that might be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to be completely honest, this is what both of us said last week during our 3M segment. Yep. Nope. It's the way it's, it has to be. I mean, Jari is the goalie of right now, and Murray's kind of run his course and might need a change of scenery. That's all there is to it. I guess with that, let's just go to our shout-outs and call-out segment. Yeah, may as well. <laughs> You know you make me wanna shout, kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout. The fishing was awful. They were just terrible. They were ridiculous. Oh, this is just too good. What is your major malfunction? He's a horse. He is just relentless as far as how he plays. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. 
Shoutouts and callouts this week brought to you by Manscaped.com. Visit Manscaped.com and use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. Horwat, let's get it started with our callouts this week. Who are you calling out? Uh, I got Mike Milbury, and it's it's a long list of things he has said that, I mean, I've seen a lot of people say what what Milbury rec- most recently said, what got him put under fire for, is not in the top 100 things he said that are fireable offenses. Doesn't make it less disgusting. But, yeah, it's it was unsurprising. He hasn't been shit-canned yet, I think. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. I've seen people say, oh, he's been fired. Oh, he's just on suspension. I don't know what's going on exactly, at this exact moment at least. But you just can't say that. I mean, it was just a dumb thing to say. Yeah, like, you know, some of the other leagues have put in protocols that they're not allowed to do certain things. That's still not something you should be saying on a national broadcast, on a family broadcast, as a big national broadcaster. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets fired, especially for how quick NBC was to can uh, Ronick for his comments on something that wasn't an NBC thing. Yeah, I expect, I would hope Milbury would get fired, and it's more than just what he said recently. It's just everything he's ever said ever. (laughs) And for the people who say that's just Mike Milbury, how he is, bullshit. Like, that's not how you have to be. Some people you have to change, especially when you're that misogynistic in some of your comments. And I'm happy that you mentioned Jeremy Roenick. Yes, what he said was also awful, and he shouldn't have said it. But if he gets fired after one offense like that, you mentioned it. Mike Milbury has had several instances when he has said stuff that is offensive, misogynistic. I don't know why they keep going to bat for this guy, and I don't... Like I mentioned, he was my call out a couple weeks ago just for being an idiot and oh, saying yeah. stupid shit on air, but it was not this bad. He he needs to be fired. Yeah, it's it's about time. I mean, we we everyone's been calling for his firing since oh man, for a long time now. Since before he was behind before he was on air and just behind a desk. <laughs> like he'd say stupid shit there, he's saying stupid shit now, and I mean I mentioned it. It's probably going to happen considering how quick NBC was to fire Bronick on a non-NBC very laid back podcast like not saying that it's right or wrong in Bronick's defense I'm saying you say it you got fired for it the same should be done with someone who was currently under an NBC umbrella at that time so there's that that's my call out do you have one or is it the same one (laughs) Uh, it is It is not the same one because I figured you were going to go with Mike Milbury because, I mean, one of us had to, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, we, it had to be talked about so people can hear it and understand it and create their own opinions on it but know what's right or wrong. My call-out is a little less controversial. It's just Jordan Bennington. I mean, Winnington was not doing any of that in the bubble in Edmonton. The Blues, of course, got eliminated in six games by the Vancouver Canucks. Bennington in the bubble went 0-5 with a 472 goals allowed average and an 851 save percentage. Absolutely horrid performance by the former Stanley Cup winner. And you mentioned so many times on the show, and I want your opinion on this, how goalies can come into the league hot and then flame out. I'm not saying, listen, Tom, I know if you're listening right now, don't shoot me. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying is going to happen, but it is definitely something to keep an eye on after he makes... A great start in the 2019 Stanley Cup wins them a championship. Maybe not along the lines of an Andrew Hammett, but maybe more on the lines of a Matt Murray. 
So what is your take on Jordan Bennington? He's my call out this week. Just an absolutely sad and pathetic performance by him in Edmonton. Brutal. The goaltending in the bubble has been quite a story, to be honest. Like every team's got like has had a seems like they've had a goaltending story come out of it. He run down through Phoenix. Well, Darcy Kemper was worlds ahead of everyone, and then we saw what happened with Colorado. The Penguins. We everyone knows that damn story. Um, <laughs> Especially Carey, if you listen to this podcast. Yeah, Carey Price standing on his head. You know, Carter Hart getting chased twice, right? He got chased twice, and he also had back-to-back shutouts in that in the course of that single series. Exactly. Like, what's going on there? Varlamov having some sort of resurgence. Holtby might be on his way out. You can, every team has got some sort of goalie story attached to it. It's the strangest thing. Boston, Tuka left. Like, yeah. it is the wildest goalie story playoffs I've ever seen. And Jordan Bennington throwing his hat in the ring with, well, I suck now. <laughs> I'm not saying that it is the end of the road for him. I'm saying it is something you have to keep an eye on because there are these goalies that have these hot playoff runs. Get a contract or not, and then fall off the face of the earth. You mentioned Andrew Hammond. I say Victor Fast quite a lot, mm-hmm. but it's it's really something to just watch out for. Yeah, I'm really hoping it doesn't happen because I I like Jordan Bennington as a goaltender and as a person. I think he has a great personality. I mean, you go back to last year's finals, the "Do I look scared?" quote was amazing, and I really don't mind the St. Louis Blues. I like the Blues, so I don't want them. That was the only reason I started watching the Blues. Is I was like cool, they have a good goaltender now. Like, I want to watch it. I never wanted to watch Jake Allen as the Blues starting goaltender. And that's what we were forced to do. And yes, he he went 2-1 and one yeah. in the series against Vancouver, but just they couldn't get it done. Let's let's shift gears here to something more positive. We've talked a lot about negative already in the shout-outs and call-out segment. I'll start off with this one. My shout-out just goes to the Colorado Avalanche <laughs> as a whole. All right. I mean, holy shit. You won 7-1. to one in both games four and five to finish off the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, McKinnon and McCarr both looking extremely impressive. Nazem Kadri went off. The entire team really went off. Philip Grubauer played extremely well. The only loss in that series went to Pavel Francouz. So if you look at the way the Avalanche just steamrolled through the Arizona Coyotes, your pick is looking extremely strong, Horwat. They looked extremely strong. Now, not to take anything away from the Coyotes, I feel like they just aren't there yet to be able to push the limit against Colorado. The Avalanche look like world beaters. I said it before, and I, you already said the name of who I'm shouting out from it because my uh, my pick was Nazem Kadri because... Not just because of what he's done in this playoffs, which I can run down. It's in just a matter of eight games, six goals, five five assists for 11 points. Uh, The big one that I love is zero penalty minutes. No. Zero penalty minutes. I know he hasn't had a major yet, which is out of character, but he has that zero? None. Not even a tripping, not even a holding. Nothing. That is... Yeah, but Tyson Berry's better, right? Man, one team's still here, right? (laughs) Oh. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. flaming the Toronto Maple Leafs, but and I that's guess kind of what I'm getting. The Avalanche. At. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's Nazem Kadri's kind of had this turnaround in play that he's playing phenomenal. He already has more points with the Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs than he had his entire career with Toronto. Oh, by one, but it's still more. That's it's, <laughs> it's in uh, eight, a series. It's in eight games rather than nineteen. So. The big number to me is that zero penalty minutes because that means 
Not only has he not gotten any majors, no tripping, anything. He hasn't been suspended like he did the last two years in a row. I'm not saying people were expecting him to, expecting him to get suspended. It's almost what you were thinking was coming. It is what is what you were expecting. I didn't want to say expecting twice, but it's what you thought might happen, especially if he was to stay there. The second suspension kind of forced Toronto's hands in trading him um, because they thought that was their team's downfall. Now we see that, hell, if he was able to turn that game around in t- with Toronto still, uh, well, maybe he would have been great. Maybe the Leafs would still be in, and who knows where Colorado would be because he's been a huge part of that team so far. As of right now, if all things go well, if he continues this, he's going to win the Conn Smythe. <laughs> like, without nah, doubt. That's that's a cheeky one there. It but I, I think if Colorado wins, there's no way it doesn't go to Nathan McKinnon. Come on now. That's I was, about, I was about to check on his numbers for this, but it just seems like as of right now, this, the bigger story for sure is Kadri because he's been able to turn his game around. He's collected zero penalties. It's... He's on a new team, and I mean, oh, McKinnon has thirteen points. Man, that dude, that dude, <laughs> that man is that the guy just best fucks. player in the world right now. <laughs> he just fucks. But Nathan McKinnon is just on another planet, yeah. and he's really just kind of like patting Connor McDavid on the head, like, "Oh, here's how it's done, son." But uh, as we're talking about it, let, let's let's finish off the yep. call-outs and shout-out segment. Let's go straight into a quick look at the second round here. I know a couple of the games have already been played, but we were already just talking about the Colorado Avalanche. They're going to take on the three-seeded Dallas Stars. What are you looking for in that series? Um, is Ben Bishop hurt again? He's not. He's just backing up Anton Hudobin. Okay. Well, that's interesting because what happened with Ben Bishop, I think, is a question that will never get answered. Uh, but Anton Kudobin and Net, I always, I always like keeping an eye on what backups do in starting roles. Not saying Kudobin is a backup because he's definitely a starter for he would be for most teams in this league. But it's just a matter of what he can do against the firepower that he's like this onslaught he's about to uh, take. Colorado's gonna come in firing again as they always do, and I'm trying to think of Dallas's defense. Because they can't. Haskinen and Klingberg and, and Alexiak are the only three that I can muster up in my head. Yeah, that because I know their offense won't match. Jamie Ben's not as offensive minded as I think he is. I guess I don't know. Tyler Sagan's a big name still. They're just gonna get outshot and outscored. I think it's gonna come down to goaltending again because Grubauer, yeah, played very well. Still got to see if he can be a very solid starter in this league. And you know, France, Pavel Francouz, Francouz, names. <laughs> Um, who knows what he could do? So it's going to come up to goaltending in the series, I think. Shockingly enough, as you know, as fiery as as uh, the Avalanche might be, we'll have to see. I think it just might be making saves. Yeah, I feel like the Dallas Stars are a lot more equipped than the Phoenix, the Arizona Jesus than the Arizona Coyotes were to take on the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, Joe Pavelski. That there's your game changer right there. That's somebody that. Arizona would love to have on their team to take on the Avalanche. So it's going to be interesting to see if Dallas can score goals because that was the problem they were having with Calgary was beating Cam Talbot. So now you're going to have to try to beat Grubauer and that Colorado Avalanche defense, which is very, very stout. I still see the Avalanche rolling through the series. It's not going to be as easy as they did against Arizona, but Dallas, they were a game away. They were a goal away from the Western conference finals last year. So we can't take them lightly, but I still don't think that they're equipped enough to stop 
the onslaught from Colorado. Let's shift it over to the other Western Conference matchup, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks. I have Vegas still winning it, but this one is going to be very, very fun to watch. Yep. The star power in Vegas and the depth that Vegas has versus well, Vancouver. Pedersen looks great. Hughes looks great. Horvat was great in that first series. JT Miller was even better. And then you look at the matchup between Leonard or Flower <laughs> against Markstrom, and it's just so evenly matched. And I didn't even expect it to be this evenly matched. And this is a matchup that I didn't expect to want to need to see. I need to see all of these games. And I'm excited for them. I still think Vegas pulls it out, but it's going to be close. Yeah. It'll be a, this one will be a fun one. It's, it's going to be interesting because you mentioned the star power on Vegas. The future star power that is on Vancouver, though. It's not just that their young guys are not. It's that they're going to be stars in this league one day. Bo Horvat's a little older than the rest of them, but I mean, he's the you know the perfect captain for that team. He's a great player who really embodies that team. And then there is Pedersen, who's lighting the world up on fire again. It's going to be really fun to watch both teams. I might even... I think the way my bracket played out, I had... I think Vegas would have been playing Calgary, so I don't think it's the same way. But hmm. if this doesn't go seven, part of me might if and if Vegas can figure out a goaltending situation, part of me might lean toward taking Vancouver in the series. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because this is a matchup I never really ex thought could happen or would happen. I guess because it's the weird playoffs, but you know, it's an interesting one that just. Plus, seeing the way Vancouver played in the first round. Going into it, I hadn't seen much of them, but just watching the way they played in the first round, they might give Vegas a real good fight this this uh, this round. Yeah, you're not wrong there, but the, here's the thing I look at. We talked about in shout-outs and call-outs, Jordan Bennington was abysmal. Right. And guess who's not going to be abysmal? That's Robin Leonard. So I feel like it's going to be harder for the Canucks to score goals. If they can continue to manufacture goals like that, it is going to be difficult. So I agree with you that it's going to be close. You're leaning towards the Canucks in, in a shorter so. series. I don't know exactly who I'm leaning toward, but it's it's you know here the winner's gonna start with a V. I fucking hate you. Let's Got move over to the one. Eastern Conference. Let's start with the Philadelphia Flyers versus the New York Islanders. Well, this is definitely something I didn't expect to see, nope. and this is something that honestly a lot of people are sleeping on this matchup. I think it's gonna be extremely fun to watch. These two teams both play gritty defensive hockey the Flyers have a little bit more high flying but Matt Barzell has been unmatched in highlight real plays this offseason so I don't know maybe the Islanders can do it I mean we I didn't take them seriously to be completely honest going up against the Capitals and yes it's very difficult for the Capitals to win hockey games when Nick Backstrom is out right. so there is also that caveat but the Islanders just they looked impressive in that series. They looked impressive against Florida, even though Florida is kind of not great at hockey. Uh, and Philadelphia just struggled against a team that also surprised in Montreal. So it's I don't know who to pick in this series. I feel like I'm going to lean towards Philadelphia just because I feel like Carter Hart is going to find more balance than he did in that last series. But the Islanders are no joke, man. They're going to be a tough out for Philly. Yeah, the Islanders are going to be a hard one. I think I have the Islanders winning anyway because yeah because the islanders just seem like a team that can shut them down and 
Carter Hart in that, yeah, hard, hard to beat, but apparently he's able, he's human, he's been chased twice by a team that, you know, I get he shut out, but he got chased twice by a Canadiens team that, you know, kicked the shit out of the Penguins and us, but... Not um, with offense, though. Yeah, <laughs> but they, you know, who knows, Carter Hart seems like he's still learning the game a little bit, and I think the way Philly plays is always in your face it's gonna be a hard-hitting series maybe it's just a matter of if uh the islanders can let all those bullshit hits and plays go to the wayside and play their game and stay in tune with their game barry trotz can really drive this team like no one else um i think the islanders can take it though so you have a couple upsets here you think vancouver might beat vegas you think the islanders might beat the flyers and i mean i know that's what a lot of people that are in the penguins fandom and in even the capitals fandom are still rooting for the islanders to beat the flyers i don't know i think it'll be interesting either way to see who goes on to the eastern conference final and they will face one of tampa or boston which other than the Vegas Vancouver, it's it's neck and neck which it, which series interests me most. Vegas Vancouver is going to be extremely good, but Tampa Boston is one of those second round matchups similar to like Penn's Caps for all three of those years. The win it feels like the winner of this one might be favored to win the cup. Who do you think comes out on top in that series? Oh man, I don't know. I had both of them losing to Carolina at one point, so. <laughs> I don't know. I just Boston strikes me as a team that how long can they actually ride Halak? Really? I mean, there was so much so many questions going into the playoffs that no one knew what the hell was going on with Boston. So I think a lot of people counted them out. We all learned you can't do that, but at the same time, man, I hate Boston. I'll say it. <laughs> I do. I hate that team. But but Tampa shocked me. I really didn't think they would Watching some of their games against Columbus, I didn't think they'd be able to do it. You know who really shocked me? And you're going to laugh at my face. Oh, is it Braden Point? Braden Point is <laughs> yeah, so goddamn at good at hockey. And He's there so was a good. long time that I didn't think so. I was like, you know what? This guy plays on the Tampa Bay Lightning with Kucherov and Stamkos. Don't give me this. He's a superstar bullshit. Well, he's a superstar. So, yeah, I'm definitely biting my tongue and just got that shit thrown right back in my face this playoffs. He is the front runner for Con Smythe if Tampa is able to go the whole way through. And honestly, Tampa's my favorite out of the East right now. And it's who I'd most like to see out of the East because I feel like a Tampa versus Vegas or a Tampa versus Colorado, even a Tampa versus Vancouver matchup Hell yeah. would be insanely fun to watch. So I feel Tampa takes care of Boston mainly because... Not to take anything away from Halak, we definitely didn't give him enough credit in that series against Carolina, and then they dispatched him in five games. So I do give credit to Halak, but I still feel like Tampa as a whole is a much better team, and I feel like you go into that goaltender matchup and Andre Vasilevsky, if he can get hot like he was prior to facing the Capitals in the conference finals in 2018, prior to facing... The Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup in 2015, if he can get to that level... Oh, he wasn't in 2015. That was Bishop. Excuse me. Right. But if he can get to that level that he was in 2018 before he ran into the Capitals those last couple of games in 6-7, and seven, I think that they get through the Eastern Conference. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay. It's going to be in 7. It's, it's going to be in 7. You can't discount what Boston is, and they are a hell of a team. But I think Tampa still can get the job done narrowly in Game Seven. Yeah, I think I think Tampa Bay can get through it too. It's 
you know, they just got to keep their head on straight. That's all there is to it because it seems like at times against Columbus they couldn't. So here's their time to prove that they can still do it and that they are a playoff team. So who are you taking? Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay? Yeah. Do you think they come out of the East? As of um, now, at least. Oh, up against the Islanders? Probably. I think the Islanders can only go so far. All right. Well, there you go. Sign, seal, deliver. Tampa Bay did the Stanley Cup Finals. Here says tip of the iceberg, boys. But that's going to be it for this one. Don't forget to check out our sponsors at manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. Also visit our sponsor at coolhockey.com slash THPN. Use the code THPN there for 30% off. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. Also, you can follow our show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. The podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from. So please, I ask you to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. It doesn't even have to be about the show. Tell us your favorite Penguins player. Shit, tell us who's going to win the Stanley Cup or how bad our picks were taking Tampa Bay to the finals. Oh, yeah. Just leave that review. It'll help us out, and it helps us get recognized a little bit more and grows our audience, which is what we love. We love talking to you guys, and we love growing the audience and talking to more hockey fans, Penguins fans, all of that alike. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere. Happy playoffs, Pens fans.